Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Our text for our sermon is John chapter 14, verses 23 through 26. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will hold on to my word. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. The one who does not love me does not hold on to my words. The word that you are hearing is not mine, but it is from the Father who sent me. I have told you these things while staying with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I told you. This is the Gospel of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, God made everything for mankind. Last thing he creates is Adam and, and Eve. And he had told Adam, there's this tree in the middle of the garden that gives you knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of it, for you will surely die. Well, him and Eve ate from it. And they immediately died because they ran from God. They looked at each other in, in sinful ways and they had to make, they sewed together fig leaves to cover themselves up. Everything changed, but they, so they spiritually died that minute because suddenly they saw themselves as God's enemy. They also would suffer physical death, which God had not designed us to do. So during our Lent series, we are looking at the promise God had made about the seed of the woman that would crush the serpent's head. And, and our overall theme is Christ overcomes death for us. But do you know what led them to eat of that tree? It was a lie the devil told him, that told them. The devil has only one intent, and that is to destroy God's creation, so he went after the crown of it all. Did God really say? He confuses them. And then he says, you will not surely die. And he tells them, you will be like God. Now, sadly, they were like God. They had perfect harmony with him. They knew good and evil the way God does, not having done it. And the tree actually gave them that knowledge by its very existence. To eat of that would be evil. But when they ate of it, they had actually done evil and they stopped being like God. Now, they weren't like God being all powerful and all knowing, but they had his image, which is holiness. And they lost his image. They run from God and everything. And so it was the devil's lies that caused them to die, that, that sticked out, kicked off the whole event. So today we see in our text, Christ overcomes death for us by overcoming its indifference and lies. Now, it's after he's instituted the Lord's Supper. It's after Judas Iscariot has left to betray him. And, and he gives that comforting uh, talk to them before they go out to the Garden of Gethsemane. And last week's text was part of that. This week, uh, in the verse just prior to ours, Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the other guy named Judas, often just called Jude, the other apostle, said to him, Lord, what has happened that you're going to show yourself to us and not to the world? What's going on that you're going to have this appearance to us? It's going to be selective. Now, this is when he appears after he has risen from the grave. That's coming up. And so we see here Jesus's answer in verse 23. He answered him by saying, if anyone continues loving me, then he will most certainly observe my word. And my father will certainly love him and he will most certainly come to him and we will most certainly make our home beside him. Did you catch there? There's simple instruction and there's a promise. There's simple instruction, 
Because Christ is saying, if you love him, you will most certainly observe. And that's to watch over, guarding it, but by guarding it by keeping it right before your eyes. But doesn't it sound here like Christ is saying, we must first love him and then we'll guard over his word? To answer that question, we look at the whole of the Bible. As Jesus says, scripture cannot be broken. And the apostle Paul tells us in Romans 10, verse four, verses 14 through 17. So then how can they call on the one they have not believed in? If you don't believe in Jesus, you're not going to call on him to save you, right? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? If you've never heard of Jesus, if you've never heard that you're a slave to the devil, which is the devil's great lie, he wants you to think that, that life in Jesus is slavery. But if you've never even heard of Jesus, you're not going to call on him. You couldn't possibly love him. He says, and how can they hear without a preacher? Now, this doesn't have to be a pastor. This is somebody who comes and proclaims the truth. We are slaves to sin, death, and the devil. We lost God's image. We are unholy. And we're going to hell. But the good news is that's why God became a man and did something about it. We need a preacher, somebody to proclaim that to us. So we're told in Romans 10, verse 15. And how can they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news of peace, who preach the gospel of good things. But not all obeyed the gospel. See, the gospel demands faith. Once you've heard it and you have that faith, you can reject it. You can quit obeying it. So he says, for Isaiah says, Lord, who believed our message? So then faith comes from hearing the message and the message comes through the word of Christ. Too many people get confused here. They think you love God and then God will love you and then God will save you. Huh? -uh. When you and I were unlovable, God loved us and he sent somebody to us to proclaim we're in danger. To expose that we are slaves, uh, that we to expose that we are slaves to the devil by exposing his lies, because the devil is the king of liars and we live in his lies every day. But then they also showed that God had come and done the, and did the work for us. So one of the great lies that the devil tells to deceive us is that we must first love God and then God will love us. No, you have to have. Uh, someone proclaim God's love to you, then God has to create faith using that proclamation in your heart. And then when you have that faith, then you're able to love. So we don't put the cart before the horse. And one of the great lies, again, the devil tells, and it's in every religion and too many Christians have foolishly bought into the devil's lie here. It's work righteousness. It's the idea that you're righteous enough that you can do the works that you earn salvation. Anytime you have to do something to be saved, you have to make a decision for Christ. You have to repent and then Christ will forgive you. You have to give enough offerings. Anytime it's putting it in you doing the work and then God will finally do it. Well, that's work righteousness and that's one of the devil's great lies. Just like he had told Adam and Eve, you will be like God. Without the word, we actually, without the word exposing the truth, without Christ who told us, who is the spokesman for the Trinity, the truth, we would actually, instead of realizing we were created in God's image and then due to Adam and Eve's fall, we lost God's image. And that is somewhat restored in us by the faith he gives us. 
we would turn around and create God in our image. Here's the kind of God I want, and I'll tell God how to be God and how to use his power, even though if he has the power that I don't have, then he must be smarter and more powerful than me. No, we, we're, we're too foolish to even think of that. We would create God in our own image. But Jesus here gives a promise. Guard my word. That word that's used for observing, I already told you, it's, it's watching over, it's guarding it. We do this by hearing the word, by regularly being in it, by having it in our devotions. And he says, and we will most certainly make our home beside him. Anybody who has stayed indoors during one of those nasty Wyoming blizzards, especially if it's at night, understands how that home and the heat and being with your family and knowing they're safe, how much that guards and protects you. He's saying when you're guarding over the word, when you're doing the devotions with your children and your family, when you're hearing the word so that you can be constantly reminded of the truth against the devil's bombardment of lies. It's a blizzard of the devil's lies. We're right there in the home, right there beside you. We're making sure your children then believe in that word. Your house is blessed by us. We're guarding and protect you. Jesus is saying, but the we there is the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But again, there's a promise. And the promise comes, I've given you faith. I've already done the work. Now you guard over. You keep the word that gave you that faith in, in your life. And you're going to know we're there in your home. But there's also a warning, a very grave warning. Verse 24, the one who does not continue loving me does not keep on observing. And that's again the watching, the guarding, my words. And the word which you are hearing is not my own, but it is of the Father who sent me. Notice in the prior verse, he said the collective singular word, package deal, all of it, law and gospel. Now here he focuses words, plural, each individual statement and concern that he has. Those who do not love Jesus do not love all. And sometimes they think they love Jesus, but they don't love part of his word which is the warning he gives by using the plural in this verse. And thereby they often don't even realize it, but the warning is they're rejecting God because it's, Jesus is the spokesman for the Trinity, but if they don't believe Jesus's words, if they're not listening to them saying, amen, every one of those is for me, then they're rejecting the Father. They're rejecting the Holy Spirit who sent him. Every Sunday in, the, in pulpits across America, you will hear sermons that do just that. Picking and choosing what we want to believe of God's word and ignoring other portions. I'm going to give you a, not a, an exhaustive list, but a few examples. Prosperity theology is popular today. If you see for and a good example, turn, watch a television evangelist. And not all of them are bad. I don't want you to misunderstand me. But if they're in a basketball size arena and they flew in on a jet and they own a mansion, you're, they're probably a preacher of prosperity theology. And often the way that goes is you love God first and you give all your money to my ministry and then God's going to give you blessings. Never mind. Never mind the fact that we, by doing, telling you that, are denying that Jesus says, if you're going to follow him, you're going to have crosses. And of course, you wonder how people can be duped by such charlatans. But the charlatans are saying, my prosperity made off of your offerings are definitely proof that what I'm teaching to you is right. 
And so people send their money in. They're ignoring major portions of scripture as those people actually are just serving mammon. Here's another example, political correctness and too many Christian churches buy into this. And we gotta be careful. There are some things that are good about political correctness, but lots of times they end up confusing things. They'll end up twisting and, and reinterpreting words of scripture to suit what other people want. How dare you say things that maybe God actually created men and women different? Because, and not that one's superior and one's inferior at all. Scripture makes that clear. But he did create them for different roles. Take liberalism in Christianity today. Oh, we don't want to believe that all that stuff, that it's old fashioned. So we'll make it out to be a bunch of stories where we'll decide that those stories then teach certain things that help us. And, and those things then, like Aesop's fables, the ones where we learn the lesson from, that's what's, what's God's word. But you can put two liberal theologians together and they will have different, uh, different ideas of which words of God are true and which ones aren't. That's falling into the lie. But take the opposite end, legalism, where people then ignore the gospel to elevate the law. And you have to turn around and follow these 12 steps or whatever, or these rules. And you get people who are zealous to defend the word of God, and they're so zealous to defend it that that defense comes at the expense of other teachings of Jesus Christ. Christ overcame this for us with the truth. He came down as the spokesman of the Trinity, and he told us. He tells us the truth. So we see Christ overcame death for us by overcoming its lies. Now, when you know the truth, it doesn't help you a lot if you don't care. Let me give you an example. I in no way want to offend anybody who enjoys the game of cricket, but I could care less about the game of cricket. So if you were to come up to me and start talking to me about the world championship of cricket, it would go in one ear and out the other. I'm indifferent to it. I don't care. And sometimes, even if we, don't, even if we know the truth, if we don't care, it can be just as bad as being a lie. In verse 24, again, we're told, the one who does not continue loving me does not keep on observing my words. And the word which you are hearing is not my own, but is of the Father who sent me. There are people who have had the word of God. But as Jesus talks about the parable of the, sow, uh, of the seed sown in various places, the worries and cares of this world choke them out. They go back to having things that are more important to them than the word of God because it's, they're indifferent to it. They might not say, I hate the word of God. They just stop caring. They stop continuing to love the word. And when they're not recharging that battery, the devil is winning because he's bombarding them with lies. And eventually they get to the point where they don't love God because they don't care. One of the ways we see this is children who say, now adults, I resent the fact that my parents loved me so much that they wanted to spend eternity with me. And so they actually drugged me to church to hear the word of God. And sadly, some of those churches they were drugged to were some of the ones I've mentioned earlier, beating them over the head with the law without showing God's love and salvation and everything. But I often hear people who, they, they just don't care to go to church because, well, they're indifferent. It was boring. It didn't entertain them. They wanted to sleep in on Sunday. And how dare their parents make them do that? That is indifference. They might not say, I hate the Lord, but they're indifferent towards him 
and his word. It's not worth knowing for them. It's not worth guarding. It's not worth coming to to be refreshed and be re-strengthened because like that Wyoming blizzard, the devil is just onslaughting them with his lies. But Christ was not indifferent. And that's a comfort because you and I have a sinful nature that wants to bind to the devil's lie. We have a sinful nature that wants to be indifferent. We need to learn the word of God, but we'll do it with we'll do it sloppily. And this is why Jesus learned the word. And one of the great examples of that is when he was 12 years old and he stayed behind to hear the rabbis teaching the word of God. And in that particular case, it was the will of the father. He was not sinning. And we know Joseph and Mary were devout Jewish believers and they brought him up going to the synagogue and they lived that in their life. So Jesus learned that word perfectly for you and I in our place. Jesus was tempted by the devil and his lies. A couple of Sundays ago, we covered that where right after he was baptized and the Holy Spirit descended upon him, the Holy Spirit led him out in the desert and for 40 days and 40 nights he hadn't ate. And the devil comes at him with lies, twisting the word of God, pulling it out of context. But Jesus used it like a sword. He put it back in its context. He drove the devil away with it. And that was not the only time Jesus used that word, both the law and the gospel. And yes, Jesus himself taught it. You constantly read in the New Testament where he appears on the Sabbath in a synagogue to teach the people. The Sermon on the Mount, where he's actually literally on a mountain teaching people from lakes and stuff like that. And so the last words he speaks before he ascends up to heaven after his resurrection is recorded in Matthew 20, 28, verses 19 through 20. Go and make disciples of all nations by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and by teaching them to obey everything, not part. Remember, we've got to go back to those lies of the devil. Everything I have commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. You and I in our sinful nature will want to swallow down the devil's lies. We'll want to be indifferent. So Christ came to overcome those for us. He says in verse 25, I've spoken these things to you while I remain beside you. Jesus is, is in a state of humiliation right now, which means he's not using all the powers of his deity. But you and I know this night he's giving the comfort because in 24 hours time, his body is going to be in a tomb and his soul will be in the hands of the Father. That makes us want to scratch our heads, though, because the disciples, they had their own indifference. They'd already had their own lies they had bought into. They thought it was about an earthly kingdom and, and politics and, and establishing that. It's going in one ear and out the other. They were indifferent to this whole salvation thing. They knew he was the Messiah. They had faith. How would they even remember this? How do we know, as a liberal theologian would tell you? How would we know that they even got that right? And that's why he says in verse 26, but the counselor, let me stop right here. And he tells us the counselor is the Holy Spirit. The Greek word used there means called to your side to help. Now they already have the Holy Spirit because they have faith, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I told you. 10 days after his ascension, 50 days after his death, the Holy Spirit will descend upon them on Pentecost Sunday. This is when they get the flaming tongues. Wham! They connect the dots. 
They're, the Holy Spirit will inspire them to write the word so that, yes, you can tell that the Apostle Paul had, and, and Luke the Evangelist had a higher education than guys like Peter and John. The Holy Spirit used them, but he's, no, 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 that's not how you, you're not remembering that right. Here it is. He inspired it. He made sure it was correct. And that's a comfort for you and I. Because that word is the Holy Spirit has been inspired by him. Remember when I read Romans 10 verse 17? So then faith comes from hearing the message and the message comes through the word of Christ. It was inspired uh, by the Holy Spirit. He inspired the men to write it down so we can depend on it. And when we share that word, when we read that word, the Holy Spirit comes through that message that Jesus has overcome death for us, that he's conquered the grave, that he has forgiven our sins, he's won it for us, and he enters our hearts to create a new person that is connected to Christ, that loves Christ, that has that, that loves its word, that loves the word of, that, that Christ spoke, that loves God's word. And so Christ overcame the lies and the indifference of the devil that led to death by sending the Holy Spirit into your heart through that word that the Holy Spirit inspired. And he created a new man. The Holy Spirit works to fend off the lies with the truth of God's word and the indifference with the love he's given it you of, by giving you that new man that is literally connected to Christ in a way that defies our understanding so that Christ's love is in you. Yes, brothers and sisters in Christ, Christ overcomes death for us. As we work through Lent, we see that by overcoming the indifference and the lies. Amen. Now grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen.